Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be in verses 1 through 6 today. Paul writes in another epistle about how we should redeem the time. We're only allotted so much time in this life. Teach us, the psalmist said, to number our days that we may apply those days to wisdom. The Bible is very clear about how our days are numbered. We cannot know the number of them. God knows. But we have time, even, even as old as I am, I still have, I don't know how much, a little bit left anyway. The rest of our time, I want to read something if I brought it, I think I did. Um, I copied it off. Man, that's a tough button. I, there it is. What did I button it up for? I don't know. It seems like a button ought to be buttoned, I guess. From a recent survey, average American lives about 79 years. We spend 235 days of our lives waiting to be attended to. Sitting at a restaurant, waiting for the waiter, whatever. 115 days are spent laughing. Women spend 136 days of their lives getting ready. Men spend 46 days of their lives getting ready. In elementary and secondary school, we spend 334 days in school. Boy, it seems like it's a lot longer than that. We spend one year, the average person spends one year and 30 days romancing. She's laughing because she says it was that long. <laughs> we spend one year and four months exercising. Three years, one month, and three weeks, holiday time. Four years and six months, eating. Eight years and four months watching TV. Three years on social media. We spend, of those 79 years, we spend 13 years and two months working. A little more than 28 years are spent sleeping. Seven more years are spent trying, trying to go to sleep. We spend two years of our lives returning calls. Five years waiting in line. Six months waiting at traffic lights. Eight months opening and reading junk mail. Time. We have this 
time. This life, this time, that's it. None of us knows exactly how many years we're going to live. (laughs) Of all those things that are said, waiting at a table to be waited on, sitting there after I'm waited on, waiting for my food, waiting in line somewhere, waiting at a traffic light, opening and reading junk mail, watching television, social media, have mercy. All of this time and those 79 years are just clicking off, you know, second after second, minute after minute, hour after hour, they just keep going on, nothing going to stop it. And so we have so much time in our lives and no more. Most people don't take that seriously. You ever heard the term, we've all heard it, killing time? It's probably a good, probably a good uh, way to describe it. Putting time to death. Useless. Nothing. Gone. You can't get it back. It's gone. Peter is writing to these saints who are scattered on the eastern part of the Roman Empire in the area known today as Turkey. God put them there. We've seen all that before, how God put them there, how they're to live their lives uh, socially and, and uh, civically and all this. Now, and how they're to live their lives as a family structure. He comes to this point. Now, what are you going to do? Okay, saints of God, Placed in this far off eastern part of the Roman Empire, having been dispersed and displaced because of the ire of Nero, who has decided that Christianity is bad and that Christians are bad. And so all kinds of things are made up about Christians and, and, uh, and, and they, you know, they eat flesh and blood and they eat each other and all that kind of thing. They were responsible for starting the fire in Rome and they're just all kinds of stuff being, being bandied about all across Rome with regard to the Christians. And so here they are, Christians in the far reaches of the Roman Empire and Romans already hate them just because they're Christians. They don't really know them. So Peter's making the point, you win these people by the way you behave. You let them see what a Christian really is and they will learn that you having having been slandered or maligned, they will learn that it's not true about you. So having given them these instructions, he comes to this part now. What about the rest of your time where you are? There's nothing you can do about what's past. But from this moment forward, you know the old saying, this is the first day of the rest of your life. I guess, I guess that's a good saying. This is, so what are you going to do now? Peter gives them instructions. Here's where you are. Can't do anything about what's past. It's gone. But what about from here forward? What about the rest of your time? So he makes these points. First point, 
regarding your lives now, make a clean break from sin. Now, it's going to be described, this sinful way of life, but first of all, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind or have this same purpose in your heart. Because he who has suffered in the flesh is done with sin. When you stand against sin, when you no longer stand with the sinners, when you take the place of that blessed man written about in Psalm 1, you will find persecution and suffering. You'll be ostracized. People will not feel comfortable around you or about you and they will leave you out of their circle and then they'll say bad things, not even knowing whether those things are true or not. But it's always easy to hang something on someone else that you just don't understand. Now, you will suffer in the flesh when you're done with sin. How, how, do, we, how do we suffer? Well, here's how we break from sin, as Peter writes to them. Number two, here's the description. So as to no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. This is the job description of Christians. To be in pursuit of the will of God. Now, it's, it's not a magical formula. It's not something that you go up on a mountaintop and eat berries and wait for some lightning. It's not, it's not that at all. When a person, to the best of his ability, forsakes the sin that's in his life and he, he identifies sin as he goes through these red flags come and he says, I can't do that. I'm not going there. I don't live that way anymore. That's, that's not who I am. As he goes along, he, that same person, of course, is drawn to the scriptures. This is, this, is, this is God talking to us in the Bible. He speaks to us. We speak to him in prayer. And the Holy Spirit of God residing in our hearts guides us and teaches us what the Bible says. And the, and the Holy Spirit, in teaching us the scriptures as we study them, teaches us how we apply that to our lives. As a matter of fact, and I've found this true in my life and still continue to find it true, that as I read the scriptures more and more, the more of my life I realize is just unimportant. Spending time that's useless and wasteful. I need to be, and I should be, I ought to be, and the purpose of my life should be that I am in the pursuit of the will of God. Now, the will of God is easily discovered once a person commits himself to that pursuit. Reading the scriptures, praying, trusting the Lord, having the unction of life, to be guided by the Lord in life. And one finds as he pursues the will of God, he finds that there is so much of the will of man in his life. He has to cut that off. 
he says here, so as to no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Now, you know, we can be lustful for things without this passion having any reference to some sort of sexual misbehavior. We can have a passionate desire. We can have a lust for just about anything. Some interest in our lives that takes up all of our time, takes up all of our money, has nothing to do with, uh, with the pursuit of the will of God. It's just that I'm pursuing the lusts of the flesh as men do. I want to spend my time doing this. I want to spend my time doing that. And as we do that, we're not really seeking to be in tune with the will of God. Here he says, here's the break from sin described. No longer live the rest of your life in the flesh pursuing the lusts of men. Spend the rest of your life now pursuing the will of God. The will of God is worked out in our lives in many ways and wherever we may be for the moment. There's an old saying, you used to hear this a long time ago, evangelize or fossilize. Who else is going to be an example to the world for Christ but those who follow Christ? Who else to tell the world of Christ other than those who are following Christ, who have been saved by Christ, who understand what it means to have been convicted of sin, to, been brought, to have been brought by the will of God to full repentance and confession, and then exercising faith, which is a gift from God. And that faith that is exercised connects us to the, to the beauty of our salvation that, that of course rests upon the completed work of Christ and now being that Christian growing in Christ in pursuit of the will of God. So we, we redeem the time, we examine our lives, we, we evaluate ourselves. This is what Peter's saying. Now you spend your time. God has separated you from all of the, from all of the folly and, and circus of Rome and he's put you far away. He's put you in a strange place. And now's the time for you to understand that the, really the thing left for you in life from henceforth and hitherto is to be in pursuit of the will of God. Now the will of God leads me in one path that works within the body of Christ. The will of God may lead you in another path that still works in the body of Christ. It goes back to those scriptures that teach us about uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit and so forth. Some of us can do things that others of us can't do, but the body of us together seek to be the people of Christ in this world and each of us in our own way in pursuit 
of the will of God. As a Christian, there are things I've never done that other Christians have done. I've never felt that it was the will of God for me to do those things. As a pastor, I've never done things like other pastors perhaps may do them. Because I have a, I believe I have a personal sensitivity to what God is compelling me to do as a Christian, as a pastor, as a, as a teacher of scriptures. Not everybody is that way. Not everybody can do the same thing. David could not wear Saul's armor. We have to remember that. But all of us have this one common thing, and it is the passionate pursuit of the will of God. When sin is forsaken, when the lusts of men have been excised from our lives, now how much time do we have? How much other areas are opened up for us? In this pursuit. Number three, any amount of past sinning is enough. <laughs> I heard a preacher one time give a testimony. I guess he was a preacher, said he was. He gave his, he gave his testimony about how he was going to be saved. He was a young man and he was, he was like college age and he knew that God was struggling with him and that his grandma was praying for him and all this stuff. This is his testimony. I probably could find it. It was a long time ago when I heard it, but it was on television when I heard it. That makes it true, right? So he said, oh, I remember the day when I struggled with sin, but the time came I declared in my heart, next Sunday I'm going to be saved. So I'm going to live it up. He was serious. I'm going to live it up so that I can sin all that I can because when I get saved, I can't sin no more. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. The call of God. The irresistible call, how in the world can somebody control the call of God? You can't do that. Now, here's the deal. Any amount of past sinning is enough. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was making plans to sin. <laughs> so that he could get it over with. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, ah. Uh, I've, I've, that's a dead horse. He doesn't need any more beating, I guess. For the time already is past. The time already past is sufficient for you to have worked out the desire of the Gentiles. Don't feel obligated to the Gentiles. Now in this, in this sense, of course, the word Gentile speaks of those who are, who are not the worshipers of the true and living God. I have, I have been kind of graphic on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights in our study in the, in the Old Testament. 
especially about the worship of Baal and how this, this, how this so-called worship that produces idolatry, this so-called worship of a false god or false gods, uh, how, it, uh, how it germinated in life in humankind and regardless of what the God is called, even from the Old Testament gods to the New Testament gods of Rome, from Canaan to Rome and everything in between, this, this despicable, abominable so-called worship is still the same. And the worship of all of these false gods shared the same behavior. And he'll, he'll describe it here in, uh, in this verse. You have worked out, you've already been there, and you know how horrible that life was. Now here he describes the activities, some of the activities that go on in the worship of false God. See, these people are Gentile. They didn't, they didn't grow up as Jews. And they have learned of the true and living God. There's one God, unlike the polytheistic religious system of Rome. But here's where they walked in their previous worship, worshiping these other gods. The time has passed for you to feel obligated to these people doing these things anymore. Having walked, number one, in sensuality. Now, now that is an unrestrained behavior. Sensuality covers a wide spectrum. Uh, the, Greek, the Greek word sensuality, that's a guess. Uh, it, it speaks of uh, without restraint. I will, I will do what I want to do. Having walked in lusts, now that is a heated, passionate desire. In the context here, this passionate desire would be of a, of a sexual nature because that's how they worshiped their gods. All of these religious, false religious systems started out worshiping fertility. The god or goddess of fertility. That's who Baal was. That's who these others. And so these gods and goddesses all work together so that you can understand the importance of uh, the next season of crops. Fertility. Rain and the sun and moon and weather systems deal with fertility. Planting the harvest fertility, having children, fertility, having, having the next generation, fertility, the God or goddess of fertility. This then branched out and led into all kinds of, of, of heinous misbehavior. This is part of their worship. People still are involved. They don't realize, they don't realize in these lifestyles Drunkenness, here's the next one. Drunkenness, sensuality, unrestrained behavior. That this is all, this is all from the same the same demon God that uh, 
that working, working on the baser instincts and elements of humankind, we're able to see humankind collapse into all of this. Pride, arrogance, lust, um, drunkenness. The drunkenness was to, to go in and to, to smell the incense, the opiate incense that was burning in these temples, the wine flowing like a river, the temple priests and priestesses offering any kind of, of sexual uh, act the person wanted to become involved with, which then led to orgies. That's the Greek word. Komois. Now, an orgy is, of course, unbridled sexual behavior or misbehavior, generally aligned with some kind of setting of, of a party or a banquet or whatever. Carousing is a drunken banquet. That's what the word putis. Uh, a drunken banquet and abominable idolatries. Abominable. Athmitois. The alpha negates what the next thing is. It means without custom or, or lawless. It's, it's without reason, it's without custom. This is, this is not the thing that people do, but they do it anyway through unrestrained behavior and it leads them into idolatry which is the worship of the God that guarantees them some kind of eternal life when they worship in this fashion and it's abominable it's lawless this is what people did when they grew up as Gentiles in those days all of these these modes of behavior whatever sinful terrible now, in the Old Testament, of course, the Torah, the law of Moses, addressed these things. And these things were widely practiced in Canaan. And the Lord said through Moses in the book of Leviticus, these are the things that you're going to find. Things that you're not accustomed to, things you've never seen before. These are an abomination to me and you, you cannot, you shall not, you will not do these things. And there's a whole plethora of them. In society today, it, 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 seems like, it seems like this is the norm for what I would say would be most people. The norm of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, abominable idolatries. And Satan has done such a good and effective job of shielding where this kind of misbehavior originated that people think it's just a cool part of life. It's damnable. And so Peter writes to these, they're alone. The easy thing for them to do would be to slip back into the lifestyles they used to have. To be accepted, to become part of what will be the norm of Roman life, even where they were. 
He said, no, the time has expired for that. You're a Christian. This is not where you live anymore. This is not how you live anymore. That time has passed for you to have worked out the desire of the Gentiles. Don't do it. Any amount of past sinning is enough. Now he's been talking about suffering. Here's, a, here's suffering defined in one way here. In all this, they are surprised or they think it strange that you are not running with them into the same excesses or the same overflow of dissipation. Now that word, uh, I, I put down three ways to translate. The word is asatias. The alpha prefix negates the root. And the root comes from soterios, which is salvation. So it means without salvation or unsavedness, if that's a word. They're surprised. They think it's strange that you're not running with them into the same excesses of unsalvation, wastefulness. And so they speak evil of you. And the word there is the word that comes, the blasphemy comes from that word, that Greek word. They're blaspheming you. They're utterly and totally speaking against you. In all of the way that you live, they are shocked. They're surprised. They think you're weird. Because you're not walking in unsalvation. That's the word. The way they are. And when we stand apart in the holiness of our salvation, the separateness, the separation of our salvation, we stand there. And we are Christians and we live as Christians. And our very lives are a sermon for Christ. When we just walk and live like Christians and refuse to live like these Gentiles, when that happens, they're going to hate you, they're going to slander you, they're going to blaspheme you. They're going to speak evil of you. They're going to call you weird. They think it's strange that you're not running around with them in the same excesses that they so enjoy in their lives. They think you're just weird, strange, shocks them. You ever seen, you, ever, you think that's the way it is in the world today? I do. They'll laugh at you. I was in seminary with a guy, Lutheran. It was a Lutheran priest, I get. Do they have priests? I guess it was a priest. He was in a, had a collar on. And we were in a motel. Yeah. And yeah, not me and that guy. You and me, yeah. Thank you. Amanda may have been with us. I don't know if it was time for her or not. Um, I was there for a two-week tutorial. So I was staying in a motel. This Lutheran guy was part of the class. And I was on my way to the room and I had to pass by the bar. Man, he was in there just drinking away. I kind of did this. I didn't say anything. I just went like, that. that's interesting. He saw me. Charles, come here. Okay. 
So I walked into the bar. If my daddy had seen it, he'd have whooped me. I said, yeah. He said, you know, we Lutherans, we don't see things the way you expletive deleted Baptists see them. Now you can tell he had had about five or six drinks. And all I could say was, thank God for it. That's all I needed to say. Thank God for I left. Now, this guy was a, some kind of pastor or priest or something, and he thought that I was weird. I didn't feel weird at all. I thought he was the weird one. I don't know if he finished his degree or not. But I can tell you this. If you struggle in your life to live for Christ, to be obedient to the principles of the blessed, holy, precious word of God, the world will despise you and they will think that you're strange. And then they'll feel uncomfortable around you. And then they'll start talking evil of you. And if that keeps going on the way that it usually evolves, they not only will seek to cast you out from the rest of society, they'll seek you to kill you. This is what they were doing in Rome. They're surprised. They think you're weird because you're not running around with them in the same state of lostness, unsalvation, and that's suffering. Now, they weren't getting burned at the stake. They, at this point, they weren't getting whipped with a cat of nine tails. or any, They were just suffering because of the way people were speaking about them, talking about them, and treating them or mistreating them. That was suffering. You can suffer through what people say about you. You can say things about people that will cause them to suffer. Here's suffering is defined. They think you're strange because you don't run around with them. So that leads us to number five. Those people will be judged accordingly. A lot of people these days don't give any account to judgment. The truth, the reality of judgment. To stand before a holy and living God Every person is a sinner. Everybody born into the human race is a sinner. Sinner. By the mandate of God, that sin carries a price. The sinner is guilty. And there is an account that has to be paid. Now, there are only two ways for that account to be paid. Number one, Jesus will pick up the bill for you. And pay for it himself on the cross. And you take that by faith. Or number two, you'll pay for it forever. In hell. In the lake of fire. That's the only two ways. And this is how God judges. The great white throne in the revelation. All the earth and the heaven and all the heavenly bodies fly away from that great white throne. It disappears. 
Peter says the elements will melt with fervent heat. And this great white throne is set up. And death and hell spew out the dead that are in them. And the only people left in those graves are the unsaved dead. Here's the great white throne. The saints of God, the elect angels, they stand having been saved, having been redeemed, having, been the, having, been become, having always been the elect of God. Here's everybody else. The Bible continues. The books were opened. Every kind of book you can think of that you thought was good for you. And then the book was opened, which is the book of life. And anyone who was found without his name in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Judgment. Judgment's coming. People can deny it. They won't be dead that long until they realize the truth, the truth of it. Speaking of those, Peter says they'll be judged who will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, they will be judged finally. Death is our defeated enemy. What kind of time do we spend running from death, worrying about death? For to this end, the gospel has been proclaimed even to those who are now dead. So that though judged in the flesh as men, yet they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. It's the will of God is mentioned twice in our text today. And it was mentioned one time earlier in a previous message that we study that we did. So death is a defeated enemy. For those of us who are in Christ, he already took death. He took the capture of death and he captured death himself. And he made captivity captive. He has robbed death of its sting and its power. For those of us who are in Christ, that's gone. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your power? It's gone in Christ. So it's a waste of time really to worry about that. Death is a defeated enemy. Judging the flesh as men, yet to live in the spirit according to the will of God. What is God's will? Well, let me put it this way. All who are in Christ live forever. Those who are not in Christ will suffer everlasting damnation. This is the second death, to die forever, to be in a state of death eternally. Christ himself said, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies, and where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, screaming, 
forever. Listen, it's okay. I don't care how people judge me in the flesh. As long as God judges me according to Christ. I don't want him to judge me according to me. (laughs) I want him to judge me according to Christ who covers me with his righteousness. Who has saved me and paid the penalty for me by his death on the cross. When he said it is accomplished, it's finished, it's over. He said it for me. I can't add anything to what Christ has done for me. That's the will of God. That I may live in the spirit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Bible is clear. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on him to save you. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In just a moment, we'll stand and we'll be dismissed. As you exit, you will find that deacons and wives are standing in the doorways of rooms just across the hall as you walk out of this, out of this room. They are there to pray with you about salvation, about membership in this church. However God speaks to your heart, they're ready to pray with you and to talk to you about that. But for now, prayerfully, let's stand all over this room and be dismissed in prayer.